I trust and pray that you all have continued to be blessed. And we even had a modern California miracle. It's called rain. If you saw any of it last night, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We need the water. And all the Californians in the house said, Amen. Amen. So I'm just curious, how many folks here in the house are Californians? Go ahead and, wow, that's fantastic. And how many are not from California? Great. And how many will not raise your hand no matter what question I ask today? Thanks for your honesty, Brother Sykes. Uh, it's just so good always to see, and I saw Brother Baker sitting back there who used to live around the corner from us at Downey. I've known uh, the Sykes family for years, uh, who serves over in Clarksville. In fact, uh, their son Paul has now had three top songs in the country charts. Is that right? Two, well, two, okay. I'm sure the third one's right around the corner. Uh, and if you see them, they will play them for you right there. Just, uh, it's a cool thing. Now, Paul Sykes, uh, if you look him up, uh, is a gifted singer-songwriter in Nashville. And speaking of gifted singer-songwriters, it's been fun to follow my son here uh, in speaking. If you got a chance to hear him, I pray that you were blessed. Can I get an Amen. Uh, by the things that, yeah, it's appropriate, by the things that he shared. Uh, he kind of uh, gave me the rundown as I was having to be in other places before uh, this class started. So I'm thrilled that uh, I get a chance to share a little bit with him in that. And uh, as I've said to him, you know, if you wonder where you're going, just look right here. All the wrinkles, they're heading your way. How many fellow grandparents do we have here in the house? All right, we're going we're gonna to start there then today. Uh, we pass on truths through the power of story. Is there a story that you want your grandkids, your kids, the legacy behind you to tell about you after you're gone? What is the story that you would like to be remembered by. Take a second, share with somebody next to you, what is that story? Just, just turn to somebody next to you and, and tell them what, what you'd like, what story. You don't have to tell them the whole story, but what, what would the nature of that story be? If you don't know them, just introduce yourself to them, in front of you, behind you, down the row from you. All right. I want you to think about curating your stories. Curating is a fancy word for what they do in museums when they, for instance, select which pictures will go where in a museum or which pictures will be put up. Sometimes today people talk about curating their image on the Internet because we select which pictures of us we want to be on our Facebook page and which pictures, if somebody puts them up, we immediately have to take down. Or let's say you put up a picture of your wife without asking her and she called you immediately on the phone uh, while you were out of town and said, take that down, take that down right now. I said, take what, baby? That picture you just put up on Facebook, that's a bad picture of me. I said, yeah, but I look great. <laughs> she said, then crop it, you know. <laughs> I mean, show the part about you. You see, we all want to curate, in some sense, our story, our big story, so that 
one day that story will be the important ones. That story will have at the heart of it the truth we want our kids, grandkids, and others to remember. There's such a power in story. I read something uh, the other day that many chief marketing officers are changing their names to chief storyteller. Uh, I got a chance to meet uh, any of you. There's a, it's a little fast food place called Chick-fil-A. Any, anybody here heard of Chick-fil-A? I, I got a chance to sit a couple of years ago with uh, Dan Truitt, uh, who followed, uh, what was the original Truitt's name? His name I can't remember. Can, uh, pardon me, Stan Cathy, uh, who followed Truett Cathy, and, um, and just listen to him talk about what is it. And he was, you know, pretty frank and, and very sweet, but he said, our goal is to create, and of course we all knew, a restaurant that's clean and this and that. Nope. The best chicken sandwich in the world? Nope. Anybody want to guess the word he said? We want to create? Yeah. If you guess story in this class, you'll be in pretty good shape. He said, we want to create stories. We want to create stories about people's experience at Chick-fil-A. It's not just that, oh, the sandwich was good or the restaurant was clean. And he told of a manager at a Chick-fil-A who during a rainstorm, I got thinking about it today, during a rainstorm, noticed that a mom had pulled up in a minivan with two or three kids and she's trying to get the kids out and get one in a stroller and she's, you know, got a little tiny umbrella up and he had a couple big golf umbrellas that he had there just in case and the manager went running out to her car, popped open this giant umbrella, helped her with the kids, got them inside, got them sat down at a table and took her order at the table and said, I'll get it turned in. And she said, here's my credit card. He said, well, I'll call you and you bring it up here in a minute. You know, she paid for it. He didn't you know, give her free food. That story spread like wildfire through that community. Not through paid advertising, not because they reenacted it for a commercial. What happened? Take your time on this one. How did that story spread through the community? Who did it begin with? That lady. And some people in Chick-fil-A who sat there and watched the whole thing. And they had to tell somebody because that story was just so epic. Dan Cathy said the story got back to our office. He said, we immediately bought thousands of umbrellas and sent them to Chick-fil-A managers all over the country with a copy of the story. Stories have power. Jesus' stories, the parables, and let me just go through very quickly kind of where we kind of started yesterday. Uh, two truths. Jesus loved stories. How do we know this? Matthew, uh, Matthew tells us that he was always telling stories. If you look at the stories of Jesus, you find he does more in stories than he ever does in, quote, sermons. On occasion, somebody will say to a preacher, boy, you had a lot of stories today. And I hope every preacher here will say, well, thank you. I was trying to be Christ-like because that's quite frankly what Jesus does. And Jesus came to show us God. So it is natural because of what the scripture tells us that Jesus was here to, quote, show us the way. Not only that, but that Jesus said, hey, listen, 
This is eternal life, that they may know you, God, that Jesus came to tell stories that would show us God. If you agree, say amen. Okay, that means when we look at stories, we want to look at Jesus' parables through a lens that says, how can I see who God is? And yesterday we gave you four, if you were here with us. We start with asking the first question, which is, who is the lover? Jesus tells love stories. I, I can't tell you just how much taking that sentence into my heart a while back and starting to read every parable, every one. Who's the lover? Who's the one that's loved? Now, I, I've read parables for a long, long time. But some things have popped up that I didn't see, maybe wasn't aware of. And again, not trying to force something onto the parables because I really believe that the parables are gold mines that we can continue to dig in for the rest of our lives. Much like reading the New Testament. There's more there, but we need certain lenses to see what we can't see. Kind of like that black light that you put on certain kinds of paint and things pop out that you didn't know were there. In the same way, when we take the lens of the love of God and put it over the parables, who's the lover? Who's the beloved? And then, of course, what's the obstacle? Because there's always something in a good story that gets in the way. And finally, where's the window? How can I see who God, what is it that I need to see about God's love or about God's nature? So we decided, that, well, we decided, I decided and told you that we were going to do Luke 15 for these two days. And yesterday we talked about the shepherd and got a little gizzard there. You'll have to ask somebody who was here yesterday about the gizzards. But today we're going to go from that to the woman and ultimately uh, to the father. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins. Pause and reflect on that number not representing what you think it represents. Ten silver coins. In Jewish numerology, ten is a number that is going to be a number of breadth or completion. It is also in some a number that relates to value. Ten talents, remember that? So, so when Jesus uses these, the Jews are hearing more than we're hearing. Ten is like, whoa, okay. So this woman has ten coins. One um, commentator, historian says that th there's no bank to put your gold in. So as you collect gold, what do you do with it? Well, you say you bury it. Actually, they would bury the trash, but it also, at times, they'd bury the treasure. Sometimes they'd put treasure in jars. But another way of handling it, he says, was to wear it. It's like having your wallet. So they would make a a, a, a necklace or, or, or a piece of something that they could wear underneath their clothing that would be their coins. And he says, you know, it's possible that this woman had this kind of thing. And one of them, anybody here ever lost a diamond? Had it come out of a ring? Or, 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 or maybe a, oh, my earring. I, where's the other earring, honey? And you get down on hands and knees and go searching for it. Well, that's a bit of this picture of, say, well, if she had them in a bag, why'd she lose one, you know? She didn't say she was stolen. How, how do you just lose one coin? And I thought, oh, that's a picture I hadn't thought about before, that this historian said, I've, I've looked for earrings in my life, that it could have just come, come undone. And it must have come undone where? 
Why do we know that? Here's what the text says. Doesn't she light a lamp and do what? Sweep the house. My mom, years ago, we were talking about this parable, and she said, well, first thing is that lady should already had that house swept, and maybe she wouldn't find it. But it says she, she lights a lamp and sweeps the house and searches, what's the next word? Carefully. Who's the lover? Take your time. Who's the lover in the story? You don't have many options. It's the woman. Who's the beloved? Yeah. She wants that coin. She values that coin. And she carefully searches the house. Until, boy, there's a word you ought to circle or highlight in your Bible. How long do you search? Uh, 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 uh. The answer is, depends on what you're looking for. There's certain things you search a, a few minutes for. Where is it? I'll get another one. Where's my Harbor book? I thought, I, honey, did, didn't you have the little book with all the classics? In? We, we'll, we'll go down and get another one. That's one kind of search. There's another kind of search when it's, where's my cell phone? Where's my, where, where's my cell phone? You get off a plane, oh, no, oh, you go back. That's not a search you let go of easily. Can I get an oh, yeah? We, um, we bought a car a while back, first one we bought, that had a fob. Does everybody here know what a fob is, right? Instead of a key, you just have this little thing, and you just punch a button. That's wonderful, right? Except that fobs seem to be easier to misplace than keys. You put a key on a key ring, and, and we said, well, Dad, just put your fob on. That was a big old thing, and we lost the fob. I thought it was the first kind of thing. Oh, well, we'll just call and get another fob. I mean, how much can a fob be? <laughs> a fob can be $486. Th th they must be made of gold or something because... And the guy said, yeah, and then we're going to have to program it and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, whoa, we'll find it. Now I'm out in the car. I'm pulling out the floor mats. I'm getting down under. I'm shining the light. I'm looking. And between the crack in the seat in the back, I found this precious fob. How long did I look? Exactly. Tell me how much I love that fob. You can tell about the lover by the length of time they'll spend trying to find the beloved. How long will God seek you? Until. How long is God calling you? Until. And if we want to call ourselves in any way godly, how long will we seek? until there is not a point when we say well oh as humans yeah there is <laughs> i give up i i've tried i've tried so hard to have a relationship with him i'm done i'm just done we're just gonna now i gotta be careful with some of this language because some of you are gonna get offended and i don't want you to but i need to use this language we're just gonna 
go to another church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Because you say, Jeff, are you telling me there's never a time when I can leave my congregation? If I No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm asking you, how much do you love your community? How much do you love your congregation? How much do you love your family and your relationships? There was a day when at weddings they would put these things on the wedding tables for a while. You remember throwaway cameras? You, remember, you guys remember those? You click them and you throw them away. And it was stunning at that point. I can't believe you throw that away, but you're done with it. And it's gone. It's, a, it's, it's like a tissue, you know. You don't reuse. Honey, fold that up. I'll blow on that again. You don't do that. In the same way, when we have something that is, here's the word, irreplaceable. By the way, how many coins did the woman have? She lost, what percentage is that? Is that a big deal? Depends on how much you love. Oh, they're just one family. If they're upset, let them go. Well, if she does not want to be part of our Problems with this story. Problem number one. The coin is not at fault. Can we all agree on this? The lady does not chew out the coin when she finds the coin. It is the woman who has done the losing. Does this sound familiar from the first parable? It is the shepherd who loses the sheep. It is the woman who loses the coin. And in this second one, I mean, you take away even the, well, that sheep shouldn't have wandered away. Well, that coin shouldn't have fallen off. Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So the burden is fully on the woman. And therefore, the energy and the commitment and the tenacity sits fully on this woman. That, that's going to become important here when Jesus gets to number three but let's just walk through a couple of things. She had a valuable object she loved dearly. She searched until it was found. But here's the kicker, and that is that she openly celebrates. What does she tell somebody in order to get them to celebrate with her? It has to start the story with the words, I lost the first thing she's got to tell you to get to the you to the party is i screwed up i lost a coin that's immediately the kind of thing that makes you think honey don't ever let her hold our coins because she's clearly not responsible but she wanted everyone to know i lost it but it's back again in each one of the three stories that are giving us a little picture of God, Jesus puts a party. I heard some preacher call Jesus a party animal. And I thought, but then I began to walk through it. Party animal. Is Jesus a party animal? Well, let's see. What was his first miracle? I'm trying to remember. It was the... It was the uh, it was the raising of the no no it was the it was the, the blind guy that was his 
Wasn't, it, wasn't the blind man the first? What was his first miracle? Where was the miracle? What's the purpose of the miracle? And don't you dare say, to show Jesus' power over inanimate objects. To keep the party going. Jesus went on a wine run. I know it's uncomfortable. I didn't pick it. I've taught junior high classes through the years on the miracles of Jesus. This is a problem miracle. If he'd have turned the wine into water, we'd have gone with that all day long. But to have junior high boys say, well, I guess Jesus wanted everybody to have another guy. You know, Jesus did it. And that, that my wine run, it was, it was a, a, a boy who said, oh, so Jesus did the beer run, man. I'm like, first off, you're a deacon's kid. Why do you even have the phrase beer run in your mind? But second, I have to back up and say, Jesus picked this parable and told these party stories. Jesus select. <laughs> yeah, well, you can blame it on his mother. She made him do it. Yeah, I, I think the king of heaven and earth had a little bit to do with the fact that that was his first miracle. And then he starts telling stories about heaven, parables. And when he does, the kingdom of heaven is like a a feast, a wedding banquet. Over and over, Jesus put celebration front and center. So can we chew on that piece of gizzard just for a minute? What does your family celebrate? Okay. Birthdays? Huh? You remembered an important event when your husband went to be with Jesus. We remember, oh, when our children are born. We remember, sweetie, we've been together 40 years. Those are things we celebrate. Okay, I don't have any problem with celebrating any of those things. We were celebrating, we were a birthday family. Catherine was amazing. She, you know, every one of the kids' birthday has a had a theme, a little Pinocchio birthday, a little mermaid birthday, all that routine. Jesus puts a celebration in every one of these three stories. And even goes so far as to say, in the same way. Do you remember what he says right here? Everybody see the words? Can you read them with me? In the, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. They party for people making good choices. They party for people turning to Jesus. They party when God finds one more. So, How's that working for you? How do you party for baptisms? A little, a little, little hug after church is over? A little greeting line when they come out of the baptistry changing room? Is it uh, a lunch? Do you invite people? Okay. Go back to the woman at Chick-fil-A. How'd that story get out? She told it. What happened to every lady that came over 
to Gladys's house when she lost the coin and had the party. Where have you been fed? Well, I was over at Gladys's. Why? <laughs> and, then the, and the story gets told, and the story gets told, and the story gets told. Now, I grew up <coughs> in a setting in the church in which when somebody was going to get baptized, it often came as a, oh, what a surprise. Come while we stand and sing, and oh, my goodness. Oh, Charlie's son's going to be baptized. And often, you'd hear later, oh, Charlie's grandpa said, I wished I'd have what? Been there. Why wasn't she there? I didn't know. Nobody told me it was going to happen. Now, I recognize there are moments when people make decisions and they, they don't plan it. But today, it is often true, especially with all of our communication technology, that it wouldn't be too hard for me to say, hey, listen, this coming Sunday, this is going to happen with my son or with my daughter. We would love for you guys to be there. And afterwards, you know, we're going to have a little potluck at the house. You say, well, I mean, do we have to do that? I, I, I'm, I'm being serious. Are you saying we're not good Christians if we don't? I'm asking you to chew on this gizzard. Why does Jesus put a party in every one of these stories? And the similarity of the party is the rejoicing and the calling of the friends to hear and see. God wants to share the joy. He is a celebrator. He is one who rejoices. I believe we count what counts and we celebrate what's loved. That's why I'm one for counting. At the church where I'm on the teaching team, last year there were 1,001 hundred and three hundred or so one thousand one hundred and thirty eight baptisms. It's a large congregation. And God gets all the credit and let me tell you I get zippo. We celebrate. I know churches who will celebrate baptisms by videotaping them and then putting them up on Facebook and then encouraging people to write notes or send in. I know congregations that every Sunday when there is a baptism, they take time to have everybody celebrate it. And while all those things are good, what I note in this story is that those who do the finding, those who, yay, reach out to say, I want you to come and learn about this. I want you to hear about this. I mean, this just this really convicted me. We've thrown birthday parties and graduation parties and, and engagement parties for our kids. But I, we didn't have one baptism party. We didn't have one party when my son went into ministry. We, we didn't have a party when one of my sons baptized another kid in the youth group. And I'm repenting publicly. Not because, oh, you didn't do what you should have. I wonder how many other of their friends or of my wife and I's neighbors might have said, wow. Now, I want you to think about other cultures. Anybody here have any Spanish or Hispanic roots in your family? When a young lady gets to a certain age, what do we call that? 
quinceañera, which is when they turn 15 years old. The word quince is the, is the word for 15. There's a special party. In the Hebrew culture, interesting, culture close to Jesus. What's one of the big parties? Bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah for the girls. It is the moment that they take their place in the spiritual community, and it's a big deal. Our church was right across the street from the Jewish Community Center, so we were very aware of how often there were parties and celebrations. And I was so thick-headed, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. And Jesus would have said, dude, you need to learn how to do a quinceanera. You need to learn how to do a bar mitzvah. You need to learn how to celebrate. And remember, celebrating is not just you and the family blowing the candles out. It is us inviting the broader community in. This is a window onto the nature of God. And it's a convicting one for some of us. Because we do pretty good about potluck in the church to death. Can I get a oh yeah? At least we used to. We, 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 we do pretty good about, oh yeah, we're going to have this thing, and we're going to have this thing, and we're going to have this thing. And this is one of the pieces of this story that says, why don't you invite everybody? Well, I mean, they, I mean they, wouldn't, they wouldn't understand. You'd have to tell them the story. What's this about? Why are you doing this? Well, you see, we so believe that Jesus loved us and gave his life for us that our son is actually reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All right. I'm poking you. Chew on that gizzard a little bit and think, how might your family engage in that? And let's finish up with the, with, with the big one we know the most about. Okay, uh, it starts out, again, first verse sets it up. The tax collectors are gathering to Jesus and the Pharisees are muttering. They're both there. And so Jesus moves from how many sheep were lost? How many coins are lost? How many sons are there? Two. And before you jump to what I would always jump to, I want you to know that this is how the story starts. Not there was a father who had a jerk of a son. But there was a father who had, everybody put up two fingers. I don't want you to forget this. There was a father who had, one more time, two sons. Put your fingers up. You say, why are you having us do this? Because the people over in the education department tell me it's called kinetic learning. And if you do this, you will actually remember it. In fact, the next time you do a peace sign, you're going to go, oh, the father had two sons. That's right. Let's say it one more time. There was a father who had Jesus is trying now to do a different thing than he did before. There's a sheep. Well, the sheep's shepherd had to go get it. There is a woman. Well, the woman lost the coin. There is a father who does not search. That's weird. That's not where we're set up for. It's almost like Jesus catches us and we say, wait, wait, wait. Why isn't that father? Because sheep and coins are different from boys, and we all say, amen. Oh, if only boys were more like sheep and coins. For a while, the first thing I'd have done is shave them, right? You know what I'm talking about? And coins, 
physically, coins stay where you put them. But this father had two sons. I would suggest that each of his sons wanted something. And let's go ahead, and, and for those who, maybe it's been a while, Luke 15, let's just, let's just read the text quickly. Um, we challenged our church one year, every day for 40 days, to read the story of the prodigals. And I call it the story of the prodigals because I think there's three of them. The father's prodigal as well. Not in the sense of being lost, but in the sense of the meaning of the word, just like, wow, you know, kind of lavish and out there. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, so, a father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Can we just not rush past the fact that at this moment, that's a shock? Right? How many dads are in the room who, if your son came to you and said, Dad, um, I know you've talked a little bit about your 401k and, and how much money you want to have set aside, and, and you've said that you wanted to, you know, you're going to try and not spend it all, but, you know, pass some of that on. we got friends who are always taking ski trips, and, uh, but th they're not during the winter. Uh, they'll go down the lake and call it a ski trip, or, or, or they'll, they'll go to Las Vegas and call it a ski trip. I said, why do you call it a ski trip? It's called spend your kid's inheritance. So... So when your son or daughter comes to you and says, listen, I know you'd plan to give some of that 401k, pass that on to me and, and, you know, my, and my wife and our, our kids. Um, is there a way we could do that now? I want you to just whisper to the person next to you the first three sentences that come to your mind. Do any of them begin with the word Sure. Not for me either. We had a, I've told this before, we had a Thanksgiving at the house one year. Hadn't been too long ago. I'll make a long story short, uh, the boys got to talking about furniture. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm coming back to the table with a plate full of food. I'm excited. We're all here. And they're saying, no, no, I'm the oldest. And I'm like, what's going on? It's a green chair. What? We're trying to decide who's going to get the green chair. My green chair? Well, yeah, I mean, Dad, you know, when you die. Well, it's great to have you boys here at the house. Let me just tell you that. It's the closest I've ever come to trying to understand how he feels when the son says, can we just get it now? Can I take the green chair now? Can we take the four? And God drops our jaws if it was a parenting class, we'd have him in a corner saying, you can't do this. But God says, watch me. Each boy had something that he wants. Now, I'm going to skip ahead because I believe you know the story. That Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When was he in the field? When the young son comes back. When's the young son come back? What does the father do, by the way? party and the older son was in the field and when he came near the house he heard what music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him what's going on oh your brother's come home and your father's killed a fatted calf because he had him back safe and the older brother becomes angry won't go in his father went out and pleaded begged with him same setting i'm a father in that culture there are a couple of things i don't do i don't run i don't beg 
I am the pater familias. I am the head of this household. So when the older brother won't come in, the word gets to the dad. I'm thinking it's the same servant that told him, it's a party for your brother. Remember the jerk? Yeah, he's back. What would have been the most natural thing in the world for the father to do? To say to the servant, tell my boy to get his hind end in this house right now. I'll have a talk with him later, but he's going to get in here right now. But the father does something fathers don't do. Fathers don't just say, here's the money. And fathers don't go out and say, oh, will you please, please come in? At least, I don't believe... And the historians say, this is probably not realistic in this culture. Well, why would Jesus say it? Because he wants all of us to lean in and say, what? That's weird. Each wanted something and each had a plan to get it. Okay, pause. What was the younger son's plan? The younger son's plan was an aggressive, bold ask. The younger son was unpretentious and transparent. I don't like it here. Can I have my money and leave now? By the way, there's a, there's a little stunning thing. I believe that both of them wanted their dad's stuff. You know, why do you say that? What does the older brother say? What does the older brother say? He said, here you are throwing a party for the jerk. And that's not where he stops. Then he gets to what's on his heart. You never gave me and my friends, even a kid, you know, a small goat. You didn't even give us a baby goat. You gave a fatted calf to him, and you wouldn't even give us like a, a happy meal because, excuse me? Because what? Well, it's just, you just, and the father, of course, responds to the because that wasn't spoken. Dude, I love you. I'm here with you. Everything I've got is yours. Now, the counselors would say, oh man, take a look at this. You got one son who is aggressive and transparent, and you've got another one who is passive aggressive. What's passive aggressive? He sits out there. He doesn't storm in and say, this is a sham. He is a jerk. He doesn't go punch his brother. He says, okay, fine. Are you going to come in? No, 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 no. I'll just sit out here. I think he knows his dad. And I think it's also been his modus operandi. Because good boys don't scream. They sulk. I know this from personal experience. And if given opportunity, they whine. Now, I don't know whether you're more aggressive or you're more passive-aggressive. And I'll let you chew on that gizzard on your own. Because I want to shine the light on the Father. And when he asks, the Father who patiently listened, who clearly knew the pain ahead, and shockingly gave him the freedom to choose. May I suggest, by the way, the next line is, not long after, I, I, I hadn't paid much attention to that, until reading through this thing several times, and I went, not long after. This is after the boy says, give me my share of the property. Verse 13 says, not long after. The young son got together all he had and set off. 
Those words are amazing. That means that for a while, the younger son, after he took the money, stayed home. I want my inheritance. Okay, here it is. And he lived there. If one of my boys wanted that from me, I want it. Well, tell you what, if you're ready to row your own canoe, there you are. Pack up your stuff and don't come back to me when you spend all that. What's up with his father? He doesn't immediately throw him out, but he's not going to make him stay either. And the younger son didn't immediately leave, but he was unwilling to live as a dependent. Whew, there's so much here. None of us want to be dependent. We love being, say the word, independent. You can't have the relationship with God of having him as your father and claim independence because we will always be on his tax return. We are dependent on him. Amen. And if we try and convince ourselves we're not, we end up, well, probably like the passive aggressive older boy. Cranky, whiny, and quite frankly, not pleasant to be around. Every father wants to protect his child from pain. That was one of my mistakes as a dad. And yet I knew that how to learning how to handle pain is a path to growth. Um, yeah, being here at Pepperdine, I have dealt with some snow plows and some helicopters. Those are terms that are used for parents these days. When I'll get a call or an email and it'll be some parents saying, um, you, you know, my son's in your class and he said he's, he's not sure he's going to get an A. There are so many things I want to say to that. But I start with a sweet thing. You know, ma'am, uh, your son is my student and the client of our university. I actually can't talk to you about his grades. Now, that's a, a wonderful legal way around the corner. And it's truthful. What I want to say is, your son's not getting an A because he didn't earn an A. And if I give him an A, like you want to talk me into giving him an A, he's never going to get better. Fair? 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 Right, 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 right. Then why is this mother calling me? Because she and I and all parents have spent our... Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. When the example of God is, and he knows what's coming. He wasn't crossing his fingers, if you will. Well, I think man will be all right. He'll probably make good choices. Do I think he didn't know that we were going to choose badly? That means there's something in the pain that I need to learn from. Here are the four top ways I've dealt with it in my life. Ignore it. Try and defeat it. Try and look past it to the future. Or sometimes just ugh, succumb to it. But in an important moment in my life, I did what this kid did. I, I didn't do it because of this parable. I did it because of a good therapist that I was seeing. And because of my sweet wife. Who said, honey, you are burned out. You need to go deal with it. You're tripping over stuff you shouldn't be tripping over, and you got attitudes you shouldn't have. Don't, don't point at him right now if he's sitting here. Maybe he is a little burned out, tired and frustrated. And my therapist, Christian guy, 
immediately spotted a couple things about me. He says, you make a lot of jokes. I said, well, yeah, yeah. He said, you like humor, don't you? I said, well, yeah, I, I do. He said, why? Oh, makes, makes, makes people laugh, makes people feel good. You want to make people feel good? Yeah. Because why do you want to make people feel good? Well, I mean, everybody wants to make people, no, for you. Why do you want to, I mean, I, I feel good when people feel good. Ah, so you want to find a way to feel good. You know, the Bible says, and he would stop me right there. He was right. And not even halfway to the point where he was heading to. I often use humor as a way of deflecting pain. I deflect pain because I have zero interest in sitting and stewing. See, that's my, my picture of pain, right? Get over it. Go out to that boy sitting out there who's sulking. Suck that lip back in your mouth and get in that house. Come on, sing and we were happy today, right? That's what, that's deep in my bones. And this Christian man said, Jeff, is it possible that there are lessons you have not learned because you would not sit in pain and listen to it? And I was pretty impressed some years later when I was studying through this and I realized, oh my word, this has been staring at me. The boy doesn't change until he sits in the pain. He was trying to solve the problem by, you know, getting a job, but he doesn't change until he sits in the pain, and in the pain, he's able to see God. Uh, that's, for me, this is a biggie. That's, that was a, that was a million dollar learning for me. We know what the father does, he rushes out. We know what the young son does, he so oh God, I'm sorry, or Father, I'm sorry. I don't know. And the guy says, ah, come on, come on. And then it's not fair. The father rewarded the younger son not for being a rebel. He rewarded the younger son for one reason, because the father loved him. He loved him. You say, but he came back. Can we just be real? Why did he come back? Because he loved his father and he was sorry. You won't find that in the text. What do you find in the story? He's hungry. And he knew something about his dad. He knew his dad would feed him anyway. Oh, he had a good speech ready. But he knew his dad wasn't going to get yourself out. Look who's coming back. He was rewarded because his father loved him. That's why his dad doesn't even let him finish the speech, right? I love you. The father rewarded the older son not for being good, but for being loved. Because I believe that brings a humility. <sighs> you ready to chew on your gizzard? We're all so glad to be here to learn, to grow. I've got to say a prayer, finish this class. And there's some part of us that's sitting right here doing something good. Because doing good is a good thing. Amen? Why is doing good a good thing? Well, it shows that I'm a good... I will 
walk through the pearly gates, not because of anything I have done, but because of the gift of a loving Father. We will live with Jesus forever because of the prodigal grace of an amazing God. And we are gifted. I, I need to find ways to tell that story more often and invite people into my celebrations. You say, you got more kids to baptize? No, I'm looking forward to baptizing some grandkids. But how about this? How about I start celebrating when I screw up and I realize it? And God finds me. How about me being willing to transparently say, man, I tell you what, I just really lost it. But you know what? God has been so good that dot, 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 dot. We're all good at telling Superman and Superwoman stories, how we conquered this. I wonder if these stories about loss, about mistakes, about coins that come off, about boys who don't do right, might move us to celebrate and share and have the stories we tell be the stories of an amazing father. Not necessarily a great kid. And the whole church said, would you bow with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and love. Thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that, that we can just keep looking at these stories through that lens. Keep chewing on them. And keep looking for your love within them. And every time we find them, may we call somebody and celebrate it, share it. And every time we fall down and you forgive us and help us to get up, may we celebrate that finding of your grace again. Until finally, we get to the party in heaven that will never end. And it'll be all about celebrating your grace, God. In the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and the gift of grace. Come, Lord Jesus. And then we won't have to worry about nothing. But until then, will you please help us to become more like you, Jesus, through the work of your spirit. And help us to tell the story to somebody else. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen. Uh, today there's a youth ministry lunch. If you're a youth minister in a fireside room at noon, feel, please feel free to come by at 2 o'clock. There's a workshop and tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., I hope to see you in the field house to hear the next-gen preacher search ambassadors. I'll introduce them one by one. We'll sing, may the Lord bless you because he loves you so. Tell a person next to you, God actually does love you. Go ahead, go ahead and tell them that.